Glad you're here and grab your Bibles because we are heading back into the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, chapter 6. And uh, guess what? One of the most famous stories in all the Bible, we're going to talk about Noah this morning. Hey, have you survived a flood? Have you? Has your basement flooded? Have you been on the road when a highway flooded? Uh, I've survived a flood. Back in the year 2001, my wife and I were involved in a new church. Um, We had worked real hard as volunteers to help get this church ready to have our very first service. Okay, and we were one week away from having our grand opening service. We were so excited. We had put new carpeting in. We had painted the walls. We had bought new nursery toys. And, and then the Saturday before, one week before that Saturday night, it rained and it rained and it rained. I mean, God really did open up the heavens, right? And uh, the church was in a floodplain. So the whole building flooded. Uh, And I've got pictures from back then. Check that out. Wow. And we've got a few more pictures too. This was one week before we were supposed to have our very first service ever. And here's an inside shot. There's the inside shot. And let me tell you, that water was dirty. I mean, it came up from the pipes. And if you know what I'm talking about, it was dirty and So that was our flood, and we had to spend the whole week ripping out filthy carpet with like nose plugs on and cleaning the walls and repainting and recarpeting. But hey, it all came together, and we had an amazing church service the following week. Uh, Well, hey, that's my flood story, but my flood story is nothing compared to Noah's flood story, right? I mean, Noah's got the best flood story ever, and that's where we're going this morning. If Noah were here this morning... If he ran up alongside of us just for this morning and he were to encourage us with anything, I think he would tell us this. He would say, God's judgment is coming. And you've got to get safely aboard God's rescue plan. That's it. Be his main message. He might shout it, he might whisper it, he might have tears in his eyes, but he would say, God's judgment is coming. And you have to get safely aboard God's rescue plan to be saved. The question for you this morning is, are you safely on board, prepared for what God is bringing on the world? Let's pray and then we'll dig into this famous story together. Father, thank you for this hero of the faith and yet show us that he's a man just like us and what you found in him was certainly nothing superhuman. Father, I pray that you would show us how we can have peace with you, how we can have confidence that one day we will too come safely through your judgment. My prayer is that this would happen, that you would move among us, that you would speak to us, Lord, freely from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, are your Bibles open? We are going to Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 6, and we're going to be in verse 14, Genesis 6, verse 14. Okay, we're going to kind of jump right into the middle of the story here, and then after that we're going to backtrack and see what led up to this. But Genesis 6, 14, God starts to talk to Noah. And he says this, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh 
in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. All right, let's talk about the ark. God came to Noah and he asked him to build like the biggest ship that had ever been built. I mean, this colossal boat. Um, and scholars think that based on the way the Bible describes water flow back then, like it really doesn't sound like it had rained before. The water of the fields would come up from springs and it would water the earth, but there was really no indication that it actually rained ever. And Hebrews kind of talks about things that were yet unseen, which leads us to believe that this whole idea of rain was a little bit new to Noah. All of this adds up to one giant faith request. All right, Imagine, God comes and He's like, I want you to build a boat, a big boat, the biggest boat that's ever been made. Why? Because water's going to fall from the sky. And it's going to keep falling and falling and falling and falling. It's going to fill up the whole world as a judgment. But I'm going to save you, so get to work. What a project of faith this is. The Bible does not record how many trips to Home Depot Noah had to make to finish the ark. But let's just say, I would guess, well over a thousand. All right, for every birthday, all he wanted was Home Depot gift cards. Just keep them coming. Just keep them coming. Got a lot of work to do. He asked him to build a giant boat because water was going to fall from the sky. And then let's talk about the animals. Thankfully, in verse 20, it says that God was going to send the animals. I, I think the story would be a lot more interesting if God told Noah that he had to find and capture each kind of animal and then put them on the ark. And you <laughs> Crocodile, check. All right, what's next on the list? Cheetah. All right. All right. Here. But thankfully, it was a supernatural thing that God was going to actually get the animals uh, to the ark. Okay, but does that make it any less of a project of faith? I mean, like, God basically is going to fill the whole ark with carnivores, and then he's like, and then you got to get on. Like, every form of deadly animal is on there, and God's like, I'm going to save you? So get on the boat. And Noah's like, what do you mean get on the boat? I saw what got on that boat. You, like, what? Okay, let's pretend that you're going down a river, all right? And, and you, there's like a canoe and you're about to get in the canoe, but then you notice that there's a jaguar in the canoe. Would you get in the canoe? No, you wouldn't get in the canoe. You're acting tough because everyone's watching you, but you would not get in the canoe. Trust me. Okay, so now Noah sees this whole boat being packed full of these wild creatures, right? And God's like, get on the boat. Like when Daniel and Noah first met in heaven, and Daniel's like, oh man, I spent a night with these lions. Noah's like, that all? I had seasick grizzly bears to deal with, all right? Poor you, poor you. Everything about this was faith, like building the boat, 
boarding the boat. And it was crazy Noah building his big old ship that everyone saw and no one believed. It took a long time, perhaps over a hundred years, but he did it. This is a big boat. In Hong Kong, they created a uh, likeness of Noah's Ark, built, uh, built to the, the normal size found in Scripture. It was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, four stories high. I mean, you're talking bigger than Soldier Field here. I mean, it would bigger than a football field. There was, if you're wondering, I mean, could they really fit all the animals in there? Well, there's 100,000 square feet of deck area, meaning it could carry 569 rail cars. 569 rail cars. All right, you're like, okay, but I mean, some animals are big, like elephants and giraffes. Okay, but the average animal, if you average it out, is the size of a raccoon. So 569 rail cars filled with animals equals plenty of space. But we have to admit this was a supernatural rescue. Okay, I'm not going to tell you that it was something of nature that caused all the animals to all go to the same spot. No, God did it. And we have to believe it by faith because God said he did it, right? Uh, God drove all the animals to the ark for rescue to get them alive. But this was not a natural thing. This was definitely a thing of faith. And Noah, in doing all of this, he did everything that God commanded him to do. And his faith now serves as a model for how we can be saved. Check out Hebrews 11.7. We'll put it up on the screen. All right, let's all say this together. Here we go. Let's say this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Hey, how does that verse start? How does it end? How did Noah get saved? How did people get saved in the Old Testament? How do people get saved in the New Testament? There's no mystery. Same then as it is now. Noah's faith is an example of how we can know we're going to be saved. Well, what is this? How do we know? Like, what is faith? What do you mean? Okay, well, Noah's faith. Let's jot down some notes on what Noah's faith, uh, how it showed up. All right? Here's what Noah would say if he gave his little testimony. He'd say this first. First, I believe God's warning. Jot that down if you're taking notes. I hope you are. I believe God's warning. I heard judgment was coming. I believed and I took action. I believe God's warning. Our world doesn't believe God's warning, right? Our world doesn't believe that God's judgment will come again. Our world doesn't believe that every single person on the planet will be held personally responsible for their sin before a holy God. These beliefs are foolish. I read this last week that a letter which Albert Einstein wrote a year before his death went on auction on eBay for a starting price of $3 million. $3 million bucks. Hey, if you get famous enough, you write out a letter and it's worth $3 million big ones, huh? Get to work on that. But what was so interesting about the letter? Well, it's called Einstein's God letter. What does he say in it? He says in the idea that the idea, or he says in the letter that the idea of God is to be dismissed as a product of human weakness. He calls the Bible, get this, a collection of honorable but still primitive legends, which are nevertheless pretty childish. All right, now like if Noah were alive in the day of Einstein, he would have slapped him. I mean, he just would have hauled off and cracked him. I mean, like, bam! What are you talking about, primitive? 
I saw it with my own eyes. You see, Noah couldn't afford to lie to himself about the coming judgment. He couldn't afford to. He saw it with his own eyes and he believed it was coming. Hey, do you believe God's word? Do you believe these crazy old tales about Noah and his bushy beard and all the animals in the boat? Do you believe it? Because if by faith you do, you can get ready for God's coming judgment. But if you don't believe it, you're like those who watched Noah build the boat, scoffed, and went on with your life. But that's not God's will for you. God wants you to believe the warning. How else did Noah's faith show up? Well, I believe God's warning. How else? Well, I followed God's commands. Jot that down. I followed God's commands. Do you know one interesting observation about Noah in the Bible? He doesn't say a word. Not one word that comes out of his mouth is ever quoted in Scripture. That's kind of a bummer, because like if God was like, hey, Ken, you're going to get into the Bible. Ken's like, yeah. But none of your words are ever going to get into the Bible. You see, so people are only going to see what you do. Wow. Well, now, would people, if they just watched your life, would they assemble? Would they have enough evidence to know that you are walking by faith in holy fear of the Lord and preparing for His judgment? Would they see that if you couldn't say any word about it? Wow. We know what Noah was because of what he did. He followed God's commands. And how he related to God's spoken word proved what he believed. Hey, do you know that if others look into your life and they see a person veering in and out of God's Word, I mean, careening outside of biblical guidelines, there's reason to doubt your genuine faith. It doesn't matter what you say. Yeah, 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 I hear what you say, I hear what you say. But I see something totally different than what you're saying. And faith without works is what? Say it a little louder now. Faith without works is not almost good enough, not maybe God will accept it, it's corpse in the ground. It's nothing. I believe God's warning. I followed God's commands. And then third, I stood apart from the world. Stood apart from the world. If you read in the context, Noah lived in a violent, wicked, sexually depraved world and he stood out. Hey, this is huge. He was not panting after the world and every desire. He was not meticulously trying to resemble all of his contemporaries to look like them, talk like them, live like them. He was not carefully hiding his faith so that only people on Sunday morning would see it. It's kind of hard to hide your faith when it shows up in the form of a giant barge in your backyard. Well, what's that, Noah? Uh, what? That? What? That giant boat? Uh, that. Oh, I love to fish. I love to fish. I'm going to go on a big fishing trip soon. Huh. Hey, is your faith as glaringly obvious to other people as if you had a barge in your backyard that said judgment is coming? All right, the sandwich board guy down in, in the city of Chicago, we kind of see him as kooky, but Noah built a boat that told the world judgment was coming. He stood apart. Does everyone know where you stand? Is it glaringly obvious? Noah's faith shows us how we can be saved. We must believe God's warning. We must follow God's commands. We must stand apart from the world. So this story 
shows us a definition of faith lived out. But it also shows us truths about God's nature that we have to face. So look back at chapter 6, verse 5. There's two things about God's nature we must observe. And in chapter 6, verse 5, it gives the reason why God gave Noah this command to build the boat. It says this, said the Lord saw. The Lord saw. Hey, do you know the Lord is looking into our world, even right now, into this room? He sees some things. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Wow. God saw a world filled with evil. He sees it. And then, get this, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God sees into the human heart, not just the wickedness around you, but the the depravity within you. He sees into your soul. He knows. He knows the desires. He knows the thoughts. He knows the emotions. He knows the motives. And on the outside all around you in the world and on the inside throughout, He calls it wickedness. He calls it evil. He calls it corruption, which means to go to ruin. He calls it violence and lawlessness and it's widespread. We learn something about God's nature. It says in verse 7, or verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. Now we see something in God's heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. We learn that based on what God sees and what we see in Him, that God is just and therefore judgment is coming. You can write that down. God is just. And because God is just and He sees the evil, judgment is coming. How does He respond? Well, He responds with with wrath. What is the solution to evil? How How do we fix this world? How is God planning to rid evil of the world? The answer is judgment. He will judge because He's just. And the way He will judge is by bringing penalty upon all who have sinned. Do you know that we desire that justice would be done? You know it every time you see a courtroom drama play out where it's plain as day that someone is guilty and you're afraid that they might get off. Do you, do you know why you're afraid that they might escape judgment? Because you have justice wired into your heart. Do you know why that's there? It's because you're made in God's image. We know that the right thing intuitively must be done. And we know that the evil thing must be punished. Children know this. Just take something that belongs to them. And even though you didn't teach them this, they will show you God's image with their outrage. Have you been following the news? You've been following the story of Jerry Sandusky? the Penn State, former Penn State University football coach. Sentence was handed down this last week that he will spend the, likely the rest of his natural life in prison 30 years for sexually abusing at-risk boys for more than a decade. Sandusky was convicted in June on 45 counts of child sex abuse for molesting 10 boys over 15 years. Did he fess up? Did he admit it? He did not. Defiantly maintaining his innocence, the 68-year-old retiree 
listened as victims recounted their pain in a packed courtroom. He told the court, I did not do these alleged disgusting acts. The evidence was plain, though, and the judge said this. Listen, the judge said this. It is precisely your ability to conceal those vices from yourself and everyone else that, in my view, makes you dangerous. And he put him away for the rest of his life. Did the judge do the right thing? How would you have felt, how would the world have felt if the judge had said, but I'm merciful and therefore I let you go. Enter the world. Outrage. Why? Because justice must be done. But here's the thing. God is just and judgment is coming into the world. Our own awareness of justice shows us the problem with the world around us, but it's supposed to also show us that our own depravity will go judged. God will not let us off the hook. There's no sense comparing ourselves. Oh, well, compared to Jerry, I'm going to have a pretty short rap sheet. It doesn't matter. Listen, God can't let any sin into heaven. What sin would you like to permit in heaven? Just go ahead and pick one. Theft? Great. You get to heaven and then somebody steals your iPhone on day two. Welcome to heaven. Get ready to spend eternity in this environment. Hey, Heaven without sin is in heaven, right? Would you agree that you're looking forward to a day where no wicked is ever done and no temptation is ever placed before you and you live with God in perfection? You're looking forward to that. Therefore, God cannot let in unrepentant, unforgiven, uncleansed wickedness. Judgment has to come. We know it logically and we know it emotionally. And it will come. But this is supposed to awaken us to our own need. Because God's judgment is coming on us, too. Well, then what hope do we have? Well, thankfully, in verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I will blot out man. Hey, we're talking extinction of humanity. You would never have happened. You would never have been. Why are you even here today? Because God was merciful. Because the last... You feel like you are the only one in your school, the only one in your family who honors God. Hey, Noah was the only one in the world who honored God. He was the last one. And God looked down and saw that one righteous man, and because he's merciful, he rescued not just eight people on the boat, but all of humanity would endure. You're here because God showed mercy to Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It says in verse 9, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons. He walked with God. Walked with God. Jot this down. Because God is merciful, rescue is possible. Because God is merciful, rescue is possible. We have to face this, that because he's just, judgment is coming, but because he's merciful, rescue is possible. Possible. How is God's mercy on display here? Oh, it is on display everywhere. Listen, in the garden he appeared and walked with Adam and Eve and said, don't do it. Don't invite sin and death into the world. But they did. He warned them. Then outside the garden, he told Cain and Abel, hey, told Cain, you... Sin is at your door, but you must master it. But he didn't heed the warning. He warned him from in the garden. He warned them from outside the garden. 
And then God withdrew his presence and man began to call out, it says in Scripture, upon the name of the Lord. And so he raised up Enoch, who was a righteous man, who told the world that God is coming with thousands of his holy ones to judge the earth. And it was 670 years before the flood. I'm going to give them the warning. Hundreds of years, centuries to get ready. Did they get ready? They did not. He warned. He waited. People could not say, I didn't know it was coming, no. People couldn't say, I didn't have time, no. God shows His mercy in revealing His heart. He says, grief and sorrow and agony are within me. God did not want to bring this on the earth. Hey, do you remember Jesus wept over Jerusalem? Do you remember it? Tears came down the cheeks of God the Son's face. Why? Oh, if only you knew what would bring you peace. If only. God's heart is broken. He's merciful. And that's why rescue is possible. But sadly, they didn't get ready. They didn't get ready. And judgment came. Chapter 7, verse 6, we read the story. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of flood came upon the earth. The flood began. Look at verse 16. It says, And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. I like this. And the Lord shut him in. Wow. Even though God had withdrawn his presence at some point before, he came down. He personally shut them in the ark, guaranteeing their safety. What a plan of rescue designed and executed by God Himself. But reading on, verse 17, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. And all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. When the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. If you add up the days that are listed in these chapters, we find out that Noah was aboard the ark for 365 days. A full solar year he was on the ark. 150 days he was at sea, 150 days he was at land, and then there were some extra days where the final preparations were made to leave the ark. 
365 days. All that stood between humanity and extinction was lumber. I mean, beneath Noah and the animals was a an ocean that was not even on the planet up to that point. It isn't even there anymore, above the mountains. And it was just the lumber that stood between him and certain death. Uh, but really, it was faith that stood between humanity and extinction. It was the action of his faith that prepared the rescue that God ordered. Hey, listen, I don't want to shield you one bit from this story. This is the second most disturbing story in the Bible. The first is the crucifixion where man killed God. But this is the second where God killed all man, except a few. We don't like to face the reality of God's wrath. Every person, young and old, man, woman, and child, dead. Jesus said that this happened. It literally happened. Jesus said to his disciples that people, up until the day that Noah got on the ark, went on with life as usual. Do you know Jesus said that there were people who planned their wedding day for the day that Noah boarded the ark? They didn't heed the warning. They showed no fear. No fear. Life went on. We have to comprehend how frightening this is. We like to make it Noah and his floating zoo, right? Noah and all the furry animals, right? We, we buy our kids little Noah's Ark play sets for the bathtub with his furry little animals and his boat, right? Would you buy it if Noah's Ark play set came with drowning victims? Would you buy it? Little bucket. It's disturbing to think of it. You wouldn't. Who would, who would put that with the floating zoo? We don't like to think about it. But God judged all of humanity. God sends a clear message to us. His patience will run out. When warnings go unheeded, when sin goes unforgiven, when truth goes unbelieved, God's wrath is certain. And we should be afraid. This brings us to the third point, which is our response. Hey, Noah's faith gives us an example. Hey, God's nature is on display, but now we have a response. We have a choice. The first thing we have to face is this. I will be judged by God because He is just. I will be judged by God because He is just. No more believing that there might be one other way, that there might be one last chance, that there might be some other plan that God has for the people in my life who aren't saved, for the people out there who've never heard. No more of that. Throw that out of your heart like Christ threw the money changers out of the temple. We have to face the reality that God's wrath is coming. One scholar says this, basically this passage answers the question, what is the end of humanity? Can men and women pursue their lives immorally and enjoy the pleasures of this world with reckless abandon? Is this life final or getting us ready for something else? The answer is clear. Everything that had breath died. Therefore, we see that every person is morally accountable to God. Hey, your every thought, word, and deed from last week has already been logged in the system and God is keeping flawless records. We see that God's judgment will come. It's promised. It will come even if you don't think it should. It will come even if you don't know it's time. 
it will come even if you expected another chance. 2 Peter 2, 4-9 uses this story and tells us that God did this to give us an example of what will happen in the future. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if He rescued righteous Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. There's only two groups, and you're in one of them. God is either withholding His judgment temporarily, but it's coming, or He's holding you in a position of rescue before your salvation is finalized. Either you're rescued or you're not. It's one or the other. And the truth is, our relationship with God begins when we realize we stand guilty in need of a rescue. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. He said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hey, listen. The Bible is very clear. Hell is eternal. Hell is conscious. Hell is torment. And you could wake up there within the next 24 hours and you would be there forever without any hope of escape. Forever. But God's giving you a chance now. The door to the ark is open now. There's plenty of room. It's the only way. His heart is grieved and in agony as he looks and sees what your future and your eternity holds. But he's made a way. He wants that you would be saved. Hey, God is just and I will be judged by God. But, but God sends another message through the story of Noah. It doesn't have to be that way. Check out chapter 8, verse 14. Chapter 8, verse 14, it says, In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Wow. Noah knew the meaning of a word. It's a biblical word. It's found all throughout the New Testament. Noah knew the meaning of the word saved. Do you agree with God that you must be not taught, not loved, not blessed, but saved, rescued from the coming judgment? Noah knew. But how was he saved and how can I know that I'm saved? Well, it says in the Bible that Noah was righteous and blameless because he walked with God. Hebrews eleven seven we read, the beginning and the end is by faith, by faith. What made Noah different was that he believed the warning, obeyed the commands, and stood apart. He was sinful, just like you and me. But he was saved and made righteous by faith. You can jot this down. I can be saved by grace through faith. 
because God is merciful. And the story concludes with Noah showing us what Christ is going to do for us. Do you know that Noah gets the world ready for Christ to come and reveals to us what Jesus is going to do? Look at chapter 8, verse 20. I love this. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So here's Noah standing at an altar offering a sacrifice. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Hey, did anything about human nature change? What changed? God's relationship to humanity. It says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Why? Why? Look at chapter 9. Look at verse 11. God says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I've set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Noah offered a sacrifice. God was pleased with the sacrifice. Therefore, God made a covenant with Noah and promised that he would never judge the world again. Why? Because Noah was a mediator between humanity and God. Noah stood between a holy God and sinful humanity. And God is saying, oh, it would have come again and again and again. Judgment would have come again. But you know what? I made a covenant with one righteous man named Noah. And every time we look, look up in the sky and see a rainbow, God is reminding himself and us that he's withholding his judgment because of one righteous man. Do you see Christ in that? Christ is called the mediator of a new and better covenant where because of his sacrifice on the cross, God looks and is pleased with the sacrifice Christ makes and therefore he gives us righteousness by faith. And it's because of what Christ did that God will spare you from judgment for eternity. God's not withholding judgment because he sees a better world. It's because he's still looking at the faith of Noah and keeping his promise. You're not going to make it through eternity, right, based on your own merit. You're going to be spared judgment for eternity because God keeps looking at Jesus and he keeps keeping his promise. It's your only hope. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice that pleases God, satisfies his wrath, can give you a righteousness you could never earn. And if Jesus is standing between you and the Father, you will never come into judgment. But if it's you and God, and you will one day stand before Him, you've got no hope. You will be judged. You will be found guilty. And you'll be condemned forever. But that's not God's heart for you. Hey, I can be saved by grace through faith. Because Jesus died on the cross. God is pleased with what Jesus did. And Jesus is now the mediator between me and God, bringing peace that lasts forever. Hey, are you safely aboard God's rescue plan? Hey, has God safely shut you in so that you'll never be judged? How do I know? How do I know? Well, 1 Peter 3.20 is the last thought that I'll share with you. It says this, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, 
while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. In other words, it's not the water of baptism that saves you. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Hey, what saves you? I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again. I believe he now stands at the right hand of God the Father to bring me to God. I repent of my sins. I call upon Jesus as Savior. I'm baptized to show that God has pulled me up out of the waters of judgment. And I have confidence that I'm saved. Does that describe you? Are you safely aboard? Have you by faith called upon the Lord Jesus as your Savior, repented of your sins? Have you been baptized in obedience? Baptism in this verse is a graphic depiction. It's God bringing you through the waters. It's as if you're already drowning and He pulls you up, places you safely on board. Have you been baptized to show that your faith is in the Lord Jesus? Listen, it's not every week that we have as direct and blunt and severe a passage that we're studying as this. And it's my job as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, you're being warned in a very powerful way right now. And God wants you to repent, and He wants you to believe the truth, and He wants you to be saved, and then He wants you to get baptized to show everyone that you are safely aboard. We have a baptism service in two weeks. What is stopping you? What's stopping you from getting on board this morning by faith? What's stopping you from going public in a few weeks? Why go to sleep one more night wondering where you would wake up tomorrow? Hey, let's take this all to the Lord in prayer. I want to give you a chance right now between you and the God who made you to take care of something that's been long overdue. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's have a moment of prayer. And we're removing every distraction. We're bringing our entire world to a halt right now. And we're looking up. What's important is not what you think of God. What's important is what God thinks of you. And based on what you've heard this morning, do you know that He is pleased with you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God? Or are you not saved? Or do you not even know? Well, right now I want to give you a chance to be saved and rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now I want to give you a chance to pray along with me in your heart something that you know you need something that you've been putting off for far too long Father I confess when you look into my heart you see I'm sinful broken beyond repair but I believe what I heard today I believe the warning I believe Jesus sacrificed himself. I believe he rose again. And I repent. Put my faith in him. Rescue me, Lord, from the coming judgment. 
promise me, thanks to the new covenant, I will be with you forever in paradise. Wash away my sins and give me new life. Father, I pray that those who called upon you for the first time would have the courage in a few weeks to go public, to be baptized, and to show everyone you are now the Lord and the Savior of their life. May it be glaringly obvious to all others that their hope is in your rescue plan. Use them to reach out to others who are not preparing for judgment. May we see a harvest, Lord, of sinners saved by a merciful God. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that you secure us and safely put us forever in your presence. We worship you, Lord, for it. And all this we pray in Jesus' name.